0: Hi, I'm Paul Noglos, president and executive director of Crisoni on the Delta. Crisoni on the Delta is a Memphis-based nonprofit dedicated to fully exploring the vital link between food and health. Each year, for the last four years, we have convened in person world-leading researchers, innovators, investors, entrepreneurs, and growers dedicated to hashing out collaborative solutions to the world's most pressing challenges in food and health.
1: Well, hello everyone. I'm Justin Davey, Editorial Content Director at Meredith AgriMedia, and that's the division of Meredith Corporation that publishes Successful Farming Magazine. I'm going to be leading today's discussion on food transparency and sustainability in the time of COVID-19. With me today are Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO of U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action, and Rob Dongoski, partner and food and agriculture leader with Ernst & Young. So thank you two for joining me today, and let's get right to it. My first question is for you, Aaron. Uh, What does transparency mean to farmers in this time of COVID-19?
2: Yeah, I think you know everything was transparency is, is like everything was blown wide open uh, during COVID, and I think the first thing when I think about transparency was just the need to have unprecedented collaboration. You know, we saw immediately when supply chain uh, leaders were making decisions that had a far-reaching impact into our farming community, and also issues that farmers were being faced with also affected um, issues within supply chain and really to start being able to have a place where people can collaborate and um, be able to see in real time where some of those impacts uh, were happening. Um, We've tended to always talk about our our food and ag sector, but we don't really necessarily always work together. And uh, so that that was a big thing to systemically see the issues. And then often we don't uh, think of our hunger channel as being a critical aspect in that food supply chain. Um, So as things were being, the need to have an agile uh, redistribution of food. Uh, we saw our partners in Feeding America did a heroic job. Uh, Claire won uh, as top uh, 100 for, uh, Forbes uh, leaders of the year. She definitely deserves that at Feeding America this year. But really, the need for innovation um, from our farms and our processing plants to really redirect and get food to Feeding America. And so, you know, systemically, I would say transparency is more of a mindset shift that we are in a value chain and we have to work together. Uh, as value chain leaders. And I think we're gonna see that happen, um, not just COVID. I think the, and we'll talk a little bit about, um, to me COVID was a fire drill. We've been saying we're gonna have extreme and episodic shocks and events uh, to our food sector. And I think we heroically, everyone in the food sector stepped up, the food system bent, but didn't break. Um, We have a lot of committed individuals that made certain that that didn't happen, but there are a lot of lessons learned uh, as as we start planning for the future
1: right so rob i'm thinking you know the pandemic has obviously been devastating but have there been any synergies uh or innovations in this time that have helped move the sustainability issue forward i think you're on mute rob i'm sorry
3: That that dreaded mute button, my apologies. So uh, Justin, thanks for facilitating today. We appreciate it. And just to maybe piggyback on some of what Aaron said, I think the the two questions are related. Um, I I think the the pandemic has really put a major focus on food. I mean, for the first time, most Americans, they went to the grocery store and saw shelves that didn't have food on them or didn't have, you know, uh, paper towels or what have you. But you know, there's many parts of the world where it's very common to go into a grocery store and food shelves to be empty. You know, in some cases, chickens are delivered on Tuesday. and If you get there on Wednesday, they're gone. You got to wait till the next Tuesday. So, you know, I think it's really kind of a, a woke up American consumers on where does food come from? And then at the same time, when we've seen patterns shift from 50% of food consumed away from home to 100% at home, now we'll bounce back at some point, right, to, to something uh, that, that I don't think will get back to 50%, but what that really does is it make consumers go, you know, I'm enjoying the food experience. I actually enjoy, you know, um, you know, making food, cooking food, enjoying the, the the fellowship that comes around that. So I think that's a, a very different uh, experience. So that really starts to ask the question in the future: where will food be processed? How much of it needs to be processed before the consumer versus how much will be processed after the consumer? You know, and then lastly, what I would say is we've kind of spent the last you know decades thinking about what do consumers want, and we're starting to think more about you know how do they buy when we think about omni-channel and click and collect, which really got accelerated during the pandemic. But now, from a sustainability standpoint, the big question is why do consumers buy? Why would they pick one brand over another or one provider over another? I think that part of the equation is more important now than it's ever been. So um, the innovation curves are you know, we're jumping S curves again, you know, and I think um, pick your S curve, you know, pretty carefully at this stage is is what I'm seeing.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, Switching gears a little bit, Aaron, I've heard you say before that agriculture is where green happens. Can you, let's unpack that a little bit. Can you tell me what you mean by that phrase?
2: Yeah. So, you know, when I think about um, um, green or eco products or delivering on sustainability in the environment, I get really excited because I think about, okay, what sector has the ability to provide um, sustainable or an eco service good? And that is definitely agriculture. You know, if you think about land, air, and water, 48% of the landmass is in the stewardship of 2 million farmers. So those are already, it's a good that is being provided to society. And then I think about carbon emissions and this idea of a race to zero or um, generating a net zero economy, you know, agriculture is generating 9% of greenhouse gas emissions. And that's what we're losing due to um, the inability to capture that, but we're already capturing about a hundred times more carbon than's currently emitted in the air. So what's cool to think about that is that agriculture is actually acting as a, if you call it a carbon bank or an environmental savings bank on behalf of the United States. Now, the, the next question would be, okay, if we imagine the future and we need a sector to mobilize on climate change, you know, where would that innovative green products come from? This sector's already reduced their carbon footprint. The sector's on an innovation continuum in the next decade to likely have their carbon footprint. And the real fun becomes that we are now able to sequester carbon through innovation technologies if we accelerate it that we could be minus 4% carbon. Some scientists would even estimate more. So that d- tells me that this sector, there's an innovation uh, mindset and mandate that could happen that we could deliver um, and be a solution. And that innovation curve, that would mean that this sector, we don't have to wait for Elon Musk, high CapEx improvements of and solar um, you know, infrastructure across the country that we can do it in ag uh, and then help the rest of the economy uh, get to that net zero m- mandate. The other thing that it doesn't factor in is that when I think about green products, you know, um, we all have a water bottle um, that we try to recycle, but we can also displace um, flat out through innovation, through creating green products or bio-derived products. We've seen that with ethanol. We've seen that with bio-derived products from uh, biodiesel. We're even seeing green pavement now emerge. You know, so there's a whole bunch of innovation that allows that that will allow the sector not only to deliver carbon and environmental benefits on our farms but also generate a green economy through the products that we deliver
1: so to follow up follow up with on that this is a question for both of you but maybe Aaron I'll, I'll start with you it's because I know USFRA is is spreading a message of of agriculture's uh, role in in maybe moving toward um you know climate neutral Neutrality, carbon neutrality. Um, what are consumers demanding from farmers and, and consumers right now? I don't know if you have a response to begin with, Aaron, and then and then Rob can add on.
2: Yeah, I think consumers, I mean, are really looking for um, not just what they buy, obviously taste still trumps, but they want to know where their food comes from. I mean, Rob can talk a lot about this. Um, during COVID, everyone was taking digital um, photos of their food. That's all we had, right? To take photos up and take sauce. And, and they were connecting. But they, that's always been there. They want to make that connection um, back to the farm. They want to know how their food's been made. And equally, I will say, not only is it just farmers, um, when I think about environmental and social um, conversation, the S for the first time in that social conversation went front and center with our supply chain, when people wanted to see the people behind the product, understand essential workers, know um, our frontline grocery workers all the way down to the truck drivers and people on our farms. Um, So holistically, the consumer is definitely more connected, but they they want to know where their food comes from. They wanna connect with the product and they do believe that the food choices they make when they walk into a grocery store, they wanna make a better choice for the environment. And so it's our job to really redirect direct them where, where they should be making their decisions.
1: Yeah. Rob, anything to add?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Aaron, you, you hit it pretty well. I mean, the, the other things I think, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's where they come from, but how did it end up on my plate? You know, how how did it get to where it got to? And can I really trust what's in there? I mean, we are at a uh, an all-time high of consumer distrust for institutions. You know, pick your institution. There's a high level of distrust for large organizations, you know, out there today. And so consumers are looking for, you know, more of a personal relationship with, with who they buy from, you know, and that's why we see the rise of small food versus big food. I mean, niche brands, CSAs, farmer's markets, when you can get there, I mean, are, are a whole different buying experience. And in many ways, you know, the consumers are asking for that kind of personalized experience. So um, I think transparency is, I mean, it goes in so many directions. I think the other side of it is, is clean. You know, consumers are trending more and more towards clean food. And and even when you think about food and health converging, you know, health professionals are saying, eat more clean food, you know, eat fresh ingredients, you know, stay away from this, that, and the other. So, you know, I think the clean label, you know, the clean, you know, kind of uh, persona is, is really, you know, something consumers are not just asking for, they're going to demand for. We, we need to respond and tell, and give them the facts they need on the label and which continues to be a pretty confusing thing as a as a shopper, you know, so it's uh I think that's a, a really important aspect of the conversation. Yeah. Rob, so- I just
2: want I just wanna build Rob on one of the points. I don't know if you guys saw this, but um on this notion of trust, there was so much distrust, but shockingly, the farmers became the number one trusted in the Gallup poll for the first time in 10 years. So there is a little bit of hope on the rising power sector and and the fact that I do think consumers did tune in uh, for the first time to really understand where their food came from.
1: Yeah, I saw, uh, an interesting statistic from Meredith uh, recently. So Meredith Corporation uh, again, which is the the company that I work for. Um, I'm reading the the statistic here in a 2020 study. 64% of our Meredith consumers. Um, so you think of all the um, the women that would that would read Better Homes and Gardens magazine or Parents magazine. Uh, uh, 64% of those uh, those women are consumers at Meredith. Said they were. Sub- they were eating more locally grown fresh produce to support local farmers and businesses amid the COVID-19 pandemic. So that's a pretty significant statistic, 64% of our Meredith consumers. I think it presents a great opportunity for farmers to educate consumer about the way the food is grown, uh, but then also uh, market some, some crops and, and vegetables and, and meat uh, locally um last question uh for you guys before maybe I, I move to a question or two and rob we'll start with you here uh do farmers see sustainability as a cost or another maybe trendy term or is it an opportunity for them to make money
3: yeah i i think you got to pick your pick your type of farmer right and so um there's a lot into that into that question is it a, is it trendy can they make money is it a cost i mean i think ultimately what we're seeing more than anything else we're seeing consumers drive the equation, you know? So the value chain is moving. It has historically moved from left to right at scale, produce as much as we possibly can, figure out what to do with it and let's get it to consumers, you know? And now I think what we're seeing are consumers saying, let me mo- be more informative to producers, you know, farmers and ranchers. Let me tell you what I want, how I want it, how I expect you to treat it. That conversation is now starting to move the value chain more from right to left than left to right. So. I think it's a um, we're we're early in into this um, into this effort, and I think those who kind of pick wisely, you know, could actually find price premiums on the shelf down to consumers. And then there's some that are going to continue to play a low cost. And so I think we start to have multiple paths through the food system as we go forward. So lots of opportunities for those who uh, who, who want to chase it down.
2: You know, I. Everyone always asks me, what is sustainability? The definition of sustainability, and I guess I'm a Gen Xer. I I graduated college with a Hotmail uh, email account, and I was told to get a job in technology. 20 years later, you know, we know, can you give me a definition of what technology is, right? But we know it moved markets, and I would say sustainability is largely the same thing. It's a different lens of looking at business. There'll be a new way, a new consumer, definitely different types of consumer markets, uh, there's different innovations, whole sectors that are being built around this right now. And then, of course, new product innovation, as I think about, you know, again, green products being derived from our uh, farms and, and then also the ecosystem service. Nobody would even know that a farmer could be paid for carbon or paid for water or nitrogen management. Um, so these are whole new novel markets. I, you know, um, I think we will see, look back 20 years and be like it it was a whole it changed the way agriculture was today and I think the more that we um, stop thinking of it as a trend it's not a trend it's a macro driver of business uh, we see uh, I think ESG investments now at two trillion per annum uh, growing um, that you just follow the money you know it's going to move markets and so our sector needs to be prepared um, for how I guess riding that innovation curve.
3: Yeah Aaron. just one thing I would add into that is you know we're, we're seeing a shift from the financial and investor communities think, thinking more about broad stakeholder value, not just shareholder value. And so, you know, when you start to think about expressing the value of your company, not just in shareholder terms, but in broad stakeholder terms, and what else are you doing for your community, for your planet? I mean, that actually, you know, changes the story quite a bit and sustainability is part and parcel to being able to tell that story.
1: I'm seeing a question here and Aaron, I'll ask this of you, because I think this is a conversation USFRA has. Um, seems like a big opportunity, specifically in cattle ranching, which has a host of self-admitted, self-admitted issues with poor soil health due to overgrazing and poor understanding of how to maintain healthy soils. Combine that with the possibility of capturing methane from cattle manure if we create the right incentives. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, you guys know my background um, obviously was in dairy. So um, I I feel like the cow in general has been a little largely misunderstood. Um, In general, we look at the cow and the belching that comes from enteric emissions. And just to put it in context, um, there were buffalo that roamed the United States plain. So that biogenic carbon has not changed. um, And the amount of um, animals have actually decreased, but the cow. Um, I guess we sp- spoke about dairy herself. Provides a different function, so it's able to upcycle human inedible foods, right? And it's typically grown. We're talking about beef on rangelands. To what degree that those rangelands could have been doing something else to grow? Um, you know, it's doing a productive use. I always say, "What goes together grows together." But those rangelands, we're also finding out. You know, emissions. Look at what's going up. Right, but we're also finding out that there's some amazing thing going down. Those root structures are important, and agree that there has been some, you know, uh, overgrazing. We, we're now learning a lot about grazing. We never really understood that root structure and ecosystem, so that has the potential to uh, sequester carbon. The manure itself you know, uh, the cow has over 400 little microbes. The manure itself then creates those microbes and puts it back into our soil. There is a connection. We don't even know (laughs) what that connection is. Um, It offsets nitrogen and phosphorus. And then of course the cow does also provide green-based products. So if you think about that cow, it's not just providing milk and meat. Um, Many of our bio-based glues and other products, I'm wearing uh, cow lipstick, you could say even today, that is derived um, from the animal products. We want to have bio-based products. We would prefer that we have products coming from nature rather than uh, petrol-based products. So it's something to think about that we haven't thought about all the different cycles or attributes that cow is providing. Um, And so it's more than just the meat. It's more than just that Petri dish that we kind of hear about a lot. There's a lot of other things that are going on in that livestock and crop integrated system.
1: Certainly, a lot goes into that response, Aaron. So, thanks for, for breaking it down for us.
2: Oh, cows. So,
1: <laughs> that's our time today, guys. So, thank you uh, to Aaron and Rob for joining us today. And we will pass it on to the next panel. Thank you very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this afternoon's Food is Health Forum. More importantly, we hope you learned something, and we hope you made valuable connections that can help you with collaborative solutions going forward. Help us keep the conversation going by registering for our bi-weekly Crisonia Conversations and joining our Slack channel. Both can be found at crisonia.org. With that, I'd like to thank our sponsors and partners for making this afternoon possible. We will return to Memphis. In the meantime, please remember, food is health.